Lenin's What is to be Done in the New Lars Lee Translation. Chapter 4, The Artisanal Limitations of the Economists and the Organization of Revolutionaries. Section D, The Sweep of Organizational Work. Earlier we heard from B.V., that's Boris Savinkov, about, quote, the shortage of revolutionary forces fit for action that makes itself felt not only in Petersburg, but all over Russia, unquote. And hardly anyone will dispute this fact. But the question is, how do we explain it? B.V. writes, we are not going to delve into an examination of the historical reasons for this phenomenon. We will only say that a society that is demoralized by a prolonged political reaction and fragmented by the economic changes that have taken and are taking place produces from its ranks an extremely small number of people who are fit for revolutionary work. The worker class produces revolutionaries, workers who partially replenish the ranks of illegal organizations, but the number of such revolutionaries does not correspond to the, to the demands of the time. All the more so because the worker, occupied 11 hours at a factory, is in a position to fulfill for the most part the function of an agitator, but the weight of other functions, propaganda, organization, acquiring and reproducing illegal literature, issuing proclamations, and so forth, falls, whether we like it or not, on the extremely few intelligentni forces available. Robochi Diello, number 6, pages 38 to 39. There is much that we disagree with in this opinion of BV, and we especially disagree with the words that we emphasized. They show particularly vividly that, although BV is greatly upset by our artisanal limitations, just like any practique who gives the matter some thought, he has no feel for a way out of this intolerable position because he is weighed down by, quote, economism. B.V. claims that only an extremely small number of people are fit for revolutionary work. No, society produces out of its ranks extremely many people who are fit for, quote, the cause, but we do not yet know how to utilize them. In this connection, the critical and transitional state of our movement can be formulated as follows. There are no people and there are a mass of people. A mass of people because both the worker class and ever more diverse strata of society produce from their ranks each year ever greater numbers of people who are dissatisfied, who want to protest, who are ready to provide whatever assistance they can to the struggle against absolutism, and because an ever broader mass feels the intolerability of absolutism ever more sharply, even if not all are yet consciously aware of it. And, at the same time, there are no people because there are no leader guides, no political leaders, no organizational talents capable of arranging broad and at the same time unified and coherent work that would allow the application of all available forces, even the most insignificant ones. Quote, The growth and development of our revolutionary organizations, unquote, is falling behind not only the growth of the worker movement, as B.V. has noted, but also behind the growth of the general democratic movement in all strata of the people. At the present time, B.V. would probably agree to this supplement to his argument. The sweep of our present revolutionary work is too narrow in comparison with the broad, stihini basis of the movement, 
too weighed down by the poverty-stricken theory of, quote, economic struggle with the owners and the government, unquote. And meanwhile, at the present time, not only political agitators, but organizers, social democrats, should, quote, go to all classes of the population, unquote. Note 9. For example, an undoubted quickening of the democratic spirit can be observed in recent times in the military milieu, in partial consequence of the ever more frequent occurrences of street battles against such, quote, enemies as workers and students. And, as soon as available forces permit, we must without fail give most serious attention to propaganda and agitation among the soldiers and officers, to the creation of, quote, military organizations, unquote, that will be part of our party. Back in the body text. And hardly a single practique will have any doubt that the Social Democrats could distribute a thousand detail functions of its organizational work to individual representatives of the most diverse classes. The lack of specialization is one of the great defects of the technical side of our work, one about which BV complains so bitterly and so justly. The smaller the individual, quote, operations of the overall work, the more we can find people who are in a position to carry out these operations and who, in a majority of cases, are not in any position to become revolutionaries by trade. The more difficult it will be for the police to, quote, wipe out all these, quote, detail workers. And the more difficult it will be for the police to arrest someone for some small offense and work it up into a, quote, case that will justify the money the government spends on them to provide, quote, security, And as for the number of people ready to provide assistance, we pointed in the previous chapter to the gigantic change that has occurred in this connection just in the space of five years or so. But, on the other hand, in order to unite all these small details into one whole, in order to ensure that the movement itself is not fragmented into details in the same way as the functions... In order to inspire those who carry out these small functions with that faith in the necessity and significance of one's work, without which no one will ever do the work, note 10, in order for all these things to happen, what is necessary is precisely a strong organization of tried and true revolutionaries. Note 10. I remember how one comrade told me how a factory inspector, someone who was ready to help and had helped the Social Democrats, bitterly complained that he could not even find out whether his, quote, information had reached a genuine revolutionary center or whether his help was needed or whether there was a possibility of utilizing his small and minor services. Of course, any practique knows of more than one such case of our artisanal limitations, taking allies away from us. And these services, quote, minor taken separately, but invaluable taken together, could and would be provided to us by civil servants and bureaucrats, not only among factory inspectors, but among the post office, the railroads, customs officials, the gentry, the priests, and any other sphere, up to and including the police and the czarist court. If we already had a real party, a genuinely militant organization of revolutionaries, we would not ask too much of these, quote, accomplices, nor necessarily drag them into the heart of the illegal underground. 
On the contrary, we would take special care of them and even prepare people for these kinds of minor functions. Keeping in mind that many students are of more use to the party, acting as our, quote, accomplices among the bureaucrats, than as, quote, short-term revolutionaries. But it bears repeating, only a solid organization that is experiencing no shortage of active forces has the right to apply this tactic. Back in the body text. Given the existence of such an organization, faith in the strength of the party will grow stronger and be more widely disseminated as this organization becomes more conspirativni. In war, as we know, it is important to inspire not only one's own army, but also the enemy and all neutral elements with faith in one's strength. A friendly neutrality will sometimes decide the outcome. Given such an organization, one standing on a solid theoretical basis and having a social democratic press organ at its disposal, there is no reason to fear that the movement will be led astray from the path by the numerous, quote, outsider elements attracted to it. On the contrary, right now, given the reigning artisanal limitations, we observe just how many social democrats hew to the credo line while imagining that they are the only social democrats. In a word, specialization necessarily presupposes centralization and in its turn unconditionally demands it. But the very BV who sets out so well the necessity for specialization does not sufficiently value it, in our opinion, in the second half of his argument quoted here. There are not enough revolutionaries from the workers, says he. This is completely correct, and we again emphasize that this, quote, valuable communication from a close observer, unquote, completely confirms our own view on the reasons for the present-day crisis in social democracy. Not only are the revolutionaries falling behind the Stahini upsurge of the masses, but even the worker revolutionaries are falling behind the Stahini upsurge of the worker masses. And this fact confirms in the most evident way, even from a, quote, practical point of view, not only the absurdity, but the politically reactionary quality of the type of, quote, pedagogy to which we are so often treated when considering the issue of our responsibilities in relation to the workers. This fact testifies that our very first and most pressing responsibility is to assist in the making of worker revolutionaries who stand on the same level in relation to party activity as intelligent revolutionaries. We emphasize the words in relation to party activity because in other respects having the workers achieve the same level, although necessary, is far from being so easy or so pressing. Therefore, the main attention should be focused on raising workers up to revolutionaries and not in any way on lowering ourselves down to the, quote, worker mass, as the, quote, economists want, or in any event, down to the, quote, middle workers, as desired by the Svoboda group, who thus place themselves one grade up in the pedagogical scale of the, quote, economists. I am far from denying the necessity of providing popularizing literature for the workers, and especially so for the most backward workers, although, of course, not made vulgar. But what makes me indignant 
is this constant dragging of pedagogy into political issues, into organizational issues. You defenders of the, quote, middle worker are, in essence, insulting the workers with your constant desire to condescend to them before starting to talk about worker politics or worker organization. Why don't you straighten up when you talk about serious things? Leave the pedagogy to pedagogues, but not to those concerned with politics or with organization. Isn't it true that there are also advanced people, quote, middle people, and quote, the mass, among the intelligentsia as well? Isn't it true that the necessity for popular literature for the intelligentsia is generally recognized, and isn't this literature being written? But just imagine that in an article about the organization of students or secondary school pupils, the author repeated over and over again as some amazing new discovery that what we need most of all is an organization of, quote, middle students, unquote. Such an author would be mocked, and rightly so. He would be told, well, give us some organizational ideas, if you have any, and then we ourselves will figure out which of us is, quote, middle, which of us is higher, and which lower. And if you do not have any organizational ideas of your own, then all this fuss about, quote, the mass, and, quote, the middle, will turn out to be simply boring. You must understand that these very issues of, quote, politics and of, quote, organization are serious enough that we should only talk about them completely seriously. We can and we must prepare the workers and students and secondary school pupils sufficiently so that we will be able to start a discussion about these issues. Since you have undertaken to talk about them, give straightforward answers. Do not retreat back to talking about, quote, the middle or, quote, the mess. Don't try to avoid the issue with folksy sayings and phrases. Note 11. Svoboda number 1, article Organization, page 66. Quote, the heavy tread of the worker battalions will provide strength to all the demands that are made in the name of Russian labor, unquote. Labor just had to have a capital L... And the same author exclaims, quote, Some of my best friends are intelligent, but, unquote, the same but that Shachedrin translated as ears never grow higher than the forehead. Quote, but it always greatly upsets me when a person comes up and says a great deal of very beautiful and wonderful things and then demands that they be adopted because of their, his, beauty, and other virtues. Page 62. Yes, that greatly upsets me, quote-unquote, as well. Back in the body text. In order to be completely prepared for his job, the worker revolutionary also needs to become a revolutionary by trade. This is why B.V. is wrong when he says that since a worker is occupied 11 hours at a factory, the main weight of all the other revolutionary functions besides agitation, quote, falls whether we like it or not on extremely insignificant intelligentni forces, unquote. This happens not at all, quote, whether we like it or not, unquote, but because we have fallen behind, because we are not aware of our responsibility to help any worker who has outstanding abilities to turn himself into an agitator or organizer or propagandist or distributor of literature and so on. Who knows his trade? In this regard, we are quite shamefully squandering our forces, and we do not know how to preserve that which needs to be especially carefully planted and grown. 
Look at the Germans. They have a hundred times more forces than we do, but they well understand that really capable agitators and the rest are produced from among the ranks of, quote, middle people in far from huge quantities. For this reason, they try immediately to place any capable worker in conditions where his capabilities will be able to receive full development and full application. They make him an agitator by trade. They encourage him to broaden the scope of his activity, spreading it from one factory to an entire craft, from one locality to the whole country. He acquires experience and dexterity in his trade of revolutionary activity. He broadens his horizon and his knowledge. He observes close up the outstanding political leaders of other localities and other parties. He attempts to lift himself to this level and to merge in himself a knowledge of the worker milieu plus a freshness of socialist conviction with the kind of full apprenticeship in his trade without which the proletariat cannot conduct a stubborn struggle with the excellently trained ranks of its enemies. Thus and only thus can Babels and Awas be pushed forward from the worker mass. Babel and Awa being very good worker leaders, right? But what in a politically free country takes place to a significant extent automatically must in Russia be carried out systematically by our organizations. Any agitator among the workers who is the slightest bit talented and who, quote, shows promise must not work in a factory for 11 hours. We must take care to see that the party gives him means to live, that he is able to transfer to an illegal position when the time comes, that he varies the place of his activity, since otherwise he will not develop vast experience, will not broaden his horizons, will not be able to hold out for at least a few years in his struggle with the gendarmes. The broader and more profound becomes the Stahini upsurge of the worker masses, the more they will push forth, not only talented agitators, but talented organizers and propagandists and practici in the good sense of the word, of which there are so few among our intelligentsia who, for the most part, betray something of Russian-style carelessness and clumsiness. When we have detachments of worker revolutionaries who are specially prepared and have gone through extensive schooling and who are, of course, revolutionaries trained, quote, in all arms of the service, unquote, then no political police in the world will be able to cope with these detachments because these detachments of people boundlessly devoted to the revolution will also be able to rely on the boundless confidence of the broadest worker mass. And it is our direct guilt that we, quote, push workers so little onto the road, a road they share in common with the, quote, intelligenti, of an apprenticeship in the trade of revolutionary activity, and that we too often pull them back with our silly speeches about what is, quote, accessible to the worker mass, the, quote, middle worker, and so on. In this, as in other aspects, the narrow sweep of our organizational work has an undoubted and indissoluble link, although the vast majority of, quote, economists and novice practici are not aware of it, with the narrowing of our theory and our political tasks, kowtowing before Stehinost creates a sort of fear of going even one step away from what is, quote, accessible to the mass, a fear of rising up too high and too far away from mere attendance on the nearest and most immediate demands of the mass. Don't be so scared, gentlemen. 
Recall that as far as organization goes, we stand so low that the bare thought that we could rise too high is absurd. Section E. A, quote, conspiratorial organization and, quote, democratism and yet, there are among us many people who are so alive to, quote, the voice of life, unquote, that they fear just this more than anything else, and at the same time they accuse those who hold to the views expounded here of, quote, Narodnaya Voliaism, unquote, of a lack of understanding of, quote, democratism, and the like. We need to pause and look at these accusations, taken up naturally by Roboche Diello as well. The author of these lines knows quite well that the Petersburg, quote, economists had already accused Rabochaya Gazeta of Naronaya Voliaism, and this is understandable when we compare this newspaper to one like Rabochaya Musil. We are therefore not in the least surprised when, soon after the emergence of Iskra, one comrade told us that the social democrats of the town of X called Iskra an organ of, quote, Narodnaya Voliaism, unquote. For us, this accusation can only be considered a compliment, since what decent social democrat has not been accused by the, quote, economists of Narodnaya Voliaism? These accusations are occasioned by a twofold misunderstanding. First, the history of the revolutionary movement is so little known among us that we describe as Narodnaya Voliaism any thought of a militant centralized organization that has declared resolute war on Tsarism. But the excellent organization of the revolutionaries of the 1870s that should serve as a model for us all was not at all created by Narodnaya Volia, but by Zemlia Ivolia, Land and Freedom, which later split into Chernyi Peredel, Black Repartition, and Narodnaya Volia. Therefore, to see any militant revolutionary organization as something connected specifically to Narodnaya Volia is absurd both historically and logically, since any revolutionary tendency, if it really means business, about serious struggle, cannot do so without such an organization. The mistake of the Narodnaya Volia people was not that they tried to draw into their organization all the discontented and to direct this organization toward a resolute struggle with the autocracy. On the contrary, these efforts constitute their great historical merit. Their mistake was this. They relied on a theory that in essence was not a revolutionary theory at all, and so were unable, or not in a position, to link their movement inextricably to the class struggle within developing capitalist society. And only the crudest misunderstanding of Marxism, or an, quote, understanding of it in the spirit of, quote, Struvaism, unquote, could come up with the opinion that the emergence of a mass Stihini worker movement relieves us of the obligation to create an organization just as good as the one created by Zemlia Evolia, to create indeed an incomparably better organization of revolutionaries. On the contrary, the mass movement imposes upon us this obligation because the Stihini struggle of the proletariat does not become its genuine, quote, class struggle until this struggle is guided by a strong organization of revolutionaries. 
In the second place, many people, including B. Krzyzewski, judging by Robocie Diallo, number 10, page 18, have an incorrect understanding of the polemic against the, quote, conspiratorial view of political struggle that social democrats have always conducted. We have come out against, and of course will always come out against, the narrowing of political struggle to the level of a conspiracy. Note 12. But this, of course, in no way means denying the necessity of a strong revolutionary organization. Note 12. See Tasks of the Russian Social Democrats by Lenin, page 21, the polemic aimed at P.L. Lavrov. Back in the body text. For example, in the pamphlet mentioned in the footnote, alongside the polemic against reducing political struggle to a conspiracy, we portray as a social democratic ideal an organization firm enough to resort either to a, quote, uprising or to any, quote, other method of attack, unquote, quote, for delivering a decisive blow against absolutism, unquote. Note 13. Tasks of the Russian Social Democrats, page 23. By the way, here is yet another illustration that Roboche Diello either does not understand what it is saying or changes its views as frequently as does the wind. Rabocce Diallo No. 1 stated with emphasis that, quote, the essence of the pamphlet, that is, Lenin's tasks, as here set out, coincides completely with the editorial program of Rabocce Diallo, page 142. Oh, really? Does the view that the overthrow of the autocracy cannot be presented to the mass movement as a priority task coincide with tasks? or the theory of, quote, economic struggle with the owners and the government, unquote. Or the theory of stages? We leave it to the reader to judge whether one can speak of stability in principles in a press organ that understands, quote, coinciding in so original a fashion. Back in the body text. In an autocratic country, a firm revolutionary organization of this kind could be called a, quote, conspiratorial, Zagoforshchitskaya organization by its form, since the Russian word Zagovor, conspiracy, is equivalent to the French word conspiration, while competence in conspiracia is necessary in the highest degree for such an organization. The imperative of conspiracia is such a necessary condition of this kind of organization that all other conditions, number of members, their selection, functions, and so on, must be coordinated with it. It would therefore be extremely naive of us to fear the accusation that we, as social democrats, wish to create a conspiratorial organization. This accusation should be as flattering for any foe of, quote, economism as the accusation of narodnyavoliaism. The objection will be made, such a powerful and strictly secret organization that concentrates in its hands all the threads of conspirativny activity, an organization that by necessity is centralized, could very easily throw itself into a premature attack or thoughtlessly sharpen the movement before either the growth of political dissatisfaction or the ferment and indignation in the worker mass, etc., makes this either possible or necessary. Our answer is that, of course, one cannot deny, abstractly speaking, that a militant organization may march thoughtlessly into battle, that may end with a defeat that was not at all made necessary by other conditions. 
But with this kind of issue, we cannot limit ourselves to abstract considerations, since any battle contains within itself the abstract possibility of defeat, and there is no other way of decreasing this possibility than by organized preparation for battle. If we put the question on the concrete grounds of present-day Russian conditions, then we must arrive at this definite conclusion. A firm revolutionary organization is absolutely necessary exactly because it gives stability to the movement and guards it against the possibility of thoughtless attacks. Precisely now, given the ex absence of such an organization and the rapid stihini growth of the revolutionary movement, we already observe two contradictory extremes which, quote, meet as expected. On the one hand, a completely bankrupt, quote, economism and the preaching of moderation. On the other hand, an equally bankrupt, quote, excitative terror that strives, quote, to artificially call forth symptoms of nearness to the final goal from a movement that is developing and strengthening, but that is still closer to the beginning than to the final goal, unquote. VZ in Zarya, number 2 to 3, page 353. The example of Roboche Adiello shows that there still exist social democrats who are unable to resist either extreme. Such a phenomenon is hardly surprising for this reason among others. The, quote, economic struggle with the owners and the government, unquote, will never satisfy a real revolutionary with the result that two opposite extremes emerge now, here, now, there. Only a centralized militant organization that consistently carries out social democratic politics and thus satisfies, so to speak, all revolutionary instincts and aspirations is in a position to guard the movement from making thoughtless attacks and to prepare an attack that promises success. It is further objected that the view here set forth about organization contradicts the, quote, democratic principle. While the previous accusation had a specifically Russian origin, this one has a specifically émigré character. And only an émigré organization, the Union of Russian Social Democrats, could give its editorial board, among other instructions, the following. Organizational principles. In the interests of the successful development and unification of social democracy, it is necessary to emphasize, develop, and fight for the broad democratic principle in its party organization. This is especially necessary in view of the anti-democratic tendency that has revealed itself in the ranks of our party. To Congresses, page 18. Exactly how Roboche Adiello fights with the, quote, anti-democratic tendencies... Unquote, of Iskra will be seen in the following chapter, but for now let us look closer at this quote principle put forward by the quote economists. Everyone will agree, I suppose, that a broad democratic principle unquote, implies the two following necessary conditions. First, complete glasnost, and second, all functions subject to elections. Without glasnost, it is ridiculous even to talk about democratism, and furthermore, a glasnost that is not just limited to members of the organization. We call the organization of the German party a democratic one because everything in it is done openly right up to the sessions of the party congress. But no one would call an organization democratic that is closed off from non-members by a veil of secrecy. 
Well, then, what sense is there in insisting on the, quote, broad democratic principle, unquote, when the basic condition of this principle cannot be fulfilled by a secret organization? The, quote, broad principle, unquote, turns out to be no more than a resonant but empty phrase. More, this phrase testifies to a complete lack of understanding of the essential tasks of the moment as far as organization is concerned. Everybody knows how immense is the lack of conspiratia now prevailing among the mass of revolutionaries. We have seen how B.V. bitterly complains about this when he quite correctly demands a, quote, strict selection of members, unquote. Roboche Diallo, number 6, page 42. And now appear people who brag about their, quote, sense of life, unquote. And yet, in this situation, emphasize not the necessity of the strictest conspiratia and the strictest and therefore narrow selection of members, but the, quote, broad democratic principle, unquote. Doesn't this miss the point completely? The matter stands no better with the second condition of democratism, namely elections. In countries with political freedom, this condition is assumed as a given. Quote, anyone who accepts the party program and supports the party insofar as he is able is considered to be a member of the party, unquote, says the first section of the organizational rules of the German Social Democratic Party. And since the whole political arena is as open to everybody as the stage is to spectators in a theater, this acceptance or refusal to accept, this support or its opposite, is known to each and to all from newspapers as well as from popular assemblies. Everybody knows that such and such a political activist started at this position, underwent this or that evolution, showed himself at a difficult time in this or that manner, distinguished himself by these or those qualities, and therefore naturally all members of the party can elect, elect or not elect him to a particular party post based on their knowledge of him. Universal in the literal meaning of the word, Monitoring of each step made by a party man during his political career creates an automatically acting mechanism that provides what in biology is called, quote, survival of the fittest, unquote. The, quote, natural selection provided by full glasnost, elections and universal monitoring, guarantees that in the final analysis each activist ends up in his proper place finds the job best suited to his talents and capacities, suffers all the consequences of his own mistakes himself, and demonstrates before all eyes his capacity to become aware of his mistakes and to avoid them. But just try putting this picture into the framework of our autocracy. Is it thinkable here in Russia that everybody, quote, who accepts the party program and supports the party insofar as he is able unquote, will monitor each step of a revolutionary or conspirator, that all such people will elect from the ranks of the revolutionaries this person or the other when a rev revolutionary is obliged in the interests of his work to hide from nine-tenths of this, quote, all, even who he is. Reflect just a little bit about the actual significance of the ponderous words used by Roboche Adiello, and you will see that, quote, broad democratism, unquote, of party organization 
Given the darkness imposed by autocratic rule, given the domination of selection by the gendarmes, instead of the, quote, natural selection, unquote, of elective democracy, is no more than an empty and harmful toy. It is an empty toy because, in practice, no revolutionary organization under an autocracy has ever put broad democratism into practice and could not put it into practice even if it wished. It is a harmful toy because the attempt to put the, quote, broad democratic principle into practice only makes easier the broad provali, the, the purge, carried out by the police and renders eternal the prevailing artisanal limitations draws the thinking of the practici away from the serious and substantive task of making themselves into revolutionaries by trade while drawing it toward the creation of detailed, quote, paper rules about systematic elections. Only abroad, where people do not have the possibility of finding genuine and living work for themselves, often get together, can this, quote, playing at democratism, unquote, develop here and there, and especially in various grouplets. In order to show the reader how improper is Roboche Adiello's favorite device of putting forward such a proper-sounding, quote, principle as democratism in revolutionary work, we again call a witness. This witness, E. Serebriakov, the editor of the London journal Naka Nunye, displays a great weakness for Roboche Adiello and a great hatred for Plekhanov and the Plekhanovists, quote-unquote, in articles about the schism in the emigre, quote, Union of Russian Social Democrats, unquote, Naka Nunye resolutely took the side of Roboche Adiello and aimed a whole mass of wretched abuse at Plekhanov. As a witness, then, E. Serebriakov is all the more valuable on the issue now before us. In number 7, Nakanunye, July 1899, in the article On the Appeal of the Group of Self-Liberation of the Workers, he points to the, quote, impropriety involved in raising the question, quote, of self-infatuation, of primacy, of a so-called Areopagus in a serious revolutionary movement, and writes, among other things, Mishkin, Rogachev, Zhelyabov, Mikhailov, Perovskaya, Figner, and others never considered themselves leaders. Nobody elected them or appointed them, yet in reality that is what they were. This was because, both in the period of propaganda and in the period of struggle with the government, they took upon themselves the greatest burden of work, went to the most dangerous places, and their activity was the most productive. Their primacy was not the result of their own desires, but the result of faith on the part of their comrades in their intelligence, their energy, and their devotion. To fear some sort of Areopagus, some sort of dictatorial and self-appointed leadership, and if you do not fear it, why write about it, is just too naive. Who would obey it? We ask the reader, in what way does worries about a, quote, Areopagus, differ from worries about, quote, anti-democratic tendencies, unquote. And isn't it evident that the, quote, proper organizational principle advocated by Roboche Diello is exactly as naive and improper as the worries about an Areopagus? Naive because people will simply not obey either the, quote, Areopagus or the people with, quote, anti-democratic tendencies, unquote, 
if there exists no, quote, faith on the part of their comrades in their intelligence, their energy, and their devotion, unquote. It is improper because it is a demagogic trick that relies on the vainglory on the part of some, lack of knowledge about the real state of our movement on the part of others, lack of preparation and lack of knowledge of the history of the revolutionary movement on the part of still others. The single serious organizational principle for the activists of our movement should be the strictest possible conspiratia, the strictest possible selection of members, the preparation on the part of the revolutionaries by trade. Once these qualities are present, then something bigger than, quote, democratism is present, namely, complete comradely confidence among the revolutionaries. And this bigger thing is absolutely necessary for us. Since in Russia, under absolutism, there can be no question of substituting democratic universal monitoring in its place. And it would be a big mistake to think that the impossibility of genuine, quote, democratic monitoring means that the members of the revolutionary organization will not be monitored at all. They have no time for thinking about toy forms of democratism, democratism within a tight nucleus of comrades who have complete mutual confidence, but they feel their responsibility very vividly, knowing by experience that a genuine organization of revolutionaries will stop at nothing to rid themselves of an unworthy member. Besides, there exists with us a developed public opinion of the Russian and international revolutionary milieu, one with a long history that punishes with merciless severity any falling off from the responsibilities of comradeship, and indeed, quote, democratism, real, and not toy democratism. It fits into this idea of comradeship as part into a whole. Take all this into consideration, and you will understand what a musty smell of emigres acting like generals arises out of all this talk and all these resolutions about, quote, anti-democratic tendencies, unquote. It should also be pointed out that another source of such talk, namely naivete, is nourished by a confusion in ideas about what democracy is. In the book by the Webbs on English trade unioni, there is an interesting chapter entitled, quote, Primitive Democracy. The authors discuss how the English workers in the first period of the existence of their unions considered it a necessary sign of democracy to have everybody do everything in the administration of the unions, not only were all issues decided by taking a vote of all members, but all official positions were occupied by all members. In turn, it required a long historical experience for the workers to understand the absurdity of this conception of democracy and the necessity on the one hand of representative institutions and on the other hand of officials who know their trade. It required several cases of the financial ruin of union funds, for the workers to understand that the issue of the proportional relationship between paid dues and benefits given out cannot be decided simply by a democratic vote, but also required input from a specialist in insurance matters. Also, look at Kautsky's book about parliamentarism versus direct legislation, and you will see that the conclusions of the Marxist theorist coincide with the lessons obtained from the practical experience of many years accumulated by workers who came together in, quote, stihini fashion. 
Kautsky resolutely protests against Rittinghausen's primitive understanding of democracy and ridicules people who are ready to demand in the name of democracy that, quote, the newspapers of the people should be edited by the people, unquote. He demonstrates why social democratic guidance of the class struggle of the proletariat requires journalists, parliamentarians, and so forth, who know their trade. He attacks the, quote, socialism of anarchists and of littérateurs, unquote, who in their, quote, striving for effect, unquote, glorified direct popular legislation, completely failing to understand that in modern society, this idea can only have a very conditional application. Anyone who has worked in a practical way in our movement knows how widely this, quote, primitive view of democracy is disseminated among the mass of student youth and workers. It is not surprising that this view finds its way both into institutional rules and into the literature. Quote, economists of a Bernsteinian persuasion put in their rules, quote, section 10, all matters that touch on the interests of the entire organization of the Union of Struggle are decided by a majority vote of all its members, unquote. Quote, economists of a terrorist persuasion back them up, quote, it is necessary that decisions of the committee make the rounds of all circles and only then become actual decisions. Svoboda, number one, page 67. Notice that this demand for a broad application of referendums is advanced on top of demands to construct the whole organization on the elective principle. Far be it from us to condemn practici who have too little possibility to become acquainted with the theory and practice of genuinely democratic organizations. But when Roboche Diello, a publication that makes claim to a guiding role, confines itself under such conditions to resolutions about the broad democratic principle, then what else can we call this but, quote, striving for effect, unquote. Section F, local and all Russian work. If the objections made to the plan of organization set out here because of its anti-democratic and conspiratorial character are completely unfounded, there remains another issue that is very often put forward and deserves a detailed examination. This is the issue of the relationship between local and all-Russian work. A worry is expressed. Won't the creation of a centralized organization lead to a shift in the center of gravity from local to all-Russian work? And won't this harm the movement by weakening the solidity of our links with the worker mass and in general weakening the stability of local agitation? Our answer to this objection is that our movement in recent years suffers exactly from the fact that local activists are much too swallowed up by local work, that therefore it is absolutely necessary to shift somewhat the center of gravity toward all Russian work, that such a shift will not weaken but rather strengthen both the steadiness of our links with the workers and the stability of our local agitation. Let us take the question of central and local press organs and ask the reader not to forget that newspaper work is only used here as an example to illustrate the much broader and many-sided work of revolution in general. In the first period of the mass movement, 1896-98, to 98, Local activists made an attempt to set up an all-Russian press organ, Rabochaya Gazeta, 
In the following period, 1898 to 1900, the movement made an enormous step forward, but the attention of the leader guides was completely swallowed up by efforts to set up local press organs. If we sum up all these local organs taken together, it comes out to approximately one issue of a newspaper per month. Note 14. See Report to the Paris Congress, page 14. From this time, 1897, up to spring 1900, 30 issues of various newspapers came out in various localities. On average, this is more than one issue a month. Unquote. Back in the body text. Isn't this a glaring illustration of our artisanal limitations? Doesn't this make it completely evident that our revolutionary organization is falling behind the Stahini upsurge of the movement? If just this many issues were published, not by fragmented local groups, but by a united organization, we not only would economize a whole mass of our forces, but we would guarantee our immeasurably greater stability and continuity in our work. This simple consideration is too often lost from view, both by those practici who work actively, almost exclusively on local organs, unfortunately this is how things stand in the great majority of cases, and by those journalists, such as Nadezhdin, who display in this connection a surprising Don Quixoteism. The practique usually contents himself with the idea that it is, quote, difficult for local activists to work at setting up an all-Russian paper, note 15, and that it is better to have local papers than no paper at all. Note 15. This difficulty is only a seeming one. In fact, there is no local circle that does not have the possibility of actively taking up one or another function of an all-Russian project. Quote, don't say I can't, say I won't, unquote. Back in the body text, this last consideration is of course completely justified and we will not yield to any practique in our recognition of the enormous significance and the enormous usefulness of local papers in general. But that is not the point at issue, but rather is it possible to escape from the fragmentation and artisanal limitations that are so glaringly expressed by a mere 30 issues of local papers in all Russia in a period extending two and a half years? Don't limit yourselves to the indisputable but much too general thesis about the utility of local papers in general. Have the courage as well to openly recognize the negative aspects revealed by the experience of these two and a half years. This experience demonstrates that local papers under prevailing conditions turn out in the majority of cases to be unstable in matters of principle, deprived of political significance, extremely expensive in terms of outlay of revolutionary forces, and utterly unsatisfactory from a technical standpoint. I have in mind, of course, not the technicalities of printing, but the frequency and regularity of publication. And all these inadequacies are not chance ones, but the inevitable result of the fragmentation that, on the one hand, explains the predominance of local papers during this period, and on the other, is itself maintained by this predominance. An isolated local organization simply does not have the forces to guarantee stability of principles in its newspaper, nor to attain the proper level for a political organ. It does not have the forces to collect and use enough material that can illuminate our entire political life. 
and the argument used to defend the necessity of numerous local newspapers in free countries, the cheapness of using local workers for printing, and the greater fullness and speed of information of concern to the local population, this argument becomes, as experience has shown, one that speaks against local newspapers in the Russian case. They turn out to be extremely expensive from the point of view of the outlay of revolutionary forces. They also come out especially rarely for the simple reason that an illegal newspaper, no matter how small, entails a huge infrastructure of conspiratia that requires an organization on the scale of large factory industry, and this infrastructure cannot be prepared by an organization on the scale of an artisanal workshop. The primitiveness of the infrastructure of conspiratia means, any practique knows a mass of examples of this kind, that nearly always the police will use the publication and dissemination of one or two issues to prepare a mass proval, a mass purge that sweeps everything away so completely that it becomes necessary to start again from the beginning. An excellent infrastructure of conspiratia requires on the part of the revolutionaries an excellent preparation in their trade, and also a division of labor carried out in the most thoroughgoing fashion, and both these requirements are beyond the forces of an isolated local organization, no matter how strong it is at any given moment. Not only the general interests of our movement, a socialist and political education of the workers that is in consistent accord with our basic principles, but even local interests taken by themselves are better served by non-local press organs. This seems a paradox only at first glance, but in reality it is irrefutably demonstrated by our experience over a period of two and a half years. Everybody will agree that if all the local forces that managed to publish 30 issues worked together on a single newspaper, then it would be easy to provide 60, if not 100 issues, and that these would be able to reflect all the movement's particularities of a purely local nature. Without a doubt, achieving this level of organization is not easy, but what is essential is for us to be aware of its necessity for each local circle to think about and to actively work towards this goal, not waiting for a push from without, not flattering ourselves about the local organ's accessibility and proximity, qualities which on the basis of the data of our revolutionary experience have turned out to be illusory. And a poor service to practical work is rendered by those journalists, such as Nadezhdin, who imagine themselves to be very close to the practici but who do not see this illusory quality and deliver themselves of this amazingly cheap and amazingly empty reasoning. We need local newspapers, we need regional newspapers, we need all Russian newspapers. Of course, speaking in general terms, all of these things are indeed necessary, but it is also necessary to think about the conditions of time and place, since we are engaged in settling a concrete organizational issue. Really, isn't it Don Quixoteism? when Svoboda, number one, page 68, giving special attention to, quote, the question of newspapers, unquote, writes, quote, it seems to us that any locality where any appreciable number of workers are collected should have its own worker newspaper, not one imported from somewhere or other, but precisely its own, unquote. If this journalist himself does not want to think about the meaning of his words, then reader, you think for him, 
How many tens, not to say hundreds, of, quote, localities where a significant number of workers are collected, unquote, are there in Russia? And what kind of perpetuation of our artisanal limitations would result if each local organization really did undertake to publish its own newspaper? How much would this fragmentation ease the task of our gendarmes in wiping out and without any, quote, appreciable amount of trouble, the local activists at the very beginning of their activity without letting them develop into real revolutionaries? In an all-Russian newspaper, continues the author, the descriptions of the petty frauds of factory owners and the, quote, details of factory life in other than one's own town, unquote, would be boring, whereas, quote, an Orel resident will never tire of reading about Orel affairs each time he learns that this exploiter was, quote, torn to pieces or that one, quote, given a hiding, unquote, his spirit soars, unquote, page 69. Yes, yes, the spirit of the Orel resident soars, but the thinking of our journalist also soars, and much too high. Is this defense of obsession with details appropriate at the present time? This is the question he should ask himself. We yield to no one in our recognition of the necessity and importance of factory indictments, but we should also remember, as Savinkov attests, that we have already arrived at the point where the people in Petersburg are bored reading articles about Petersburg in the Petersburg newspaper Rabochaya Musil. For factory indictments on the local level, we have always used and will always continue to use leaflets. But we should raise up the newspaper as a type of agitational instrument and not lower it to the level of the factory leaflet. For a, quote, newspaper, we need indictments not so much of, quote, details as of large-scale and typical shortcomings of factory life, indictments based on especially vivid examples that can therefore interest all workers and all leader guides of the movement, that can genuinely enrich their knowledge, broaden their horizon, begin the process of awakening a new region or a new stratum of workers engaged in a particular trade. Quote, Furthermore, in a local paper, all the escapades of the factory bosses or of other authorities can be exposed then and there. But by the time a paper aimed at the whole country prints this news, the local people have long forgotten about the entire incident. They'll say, now when was that? Help me remember. Ibidum, that's from the same section. That's it exactly. Help me remember. 30 issues published over two and a half years covering six towns, as we learn from the same source of the report to the Paris Congress. That gives an average for each town of one issue per half year. And even if our thoughtless journalist assumed a tripling of the productivity of local work, which undoubtedly would not be justified in relation to the average town since any significant broadening of productivity is impossible within the framework of artisanal limitations, we would still only get a figure of one issue every two months. That is, something that doesn't much resemble escapades being, quote, exposed then and there, unquote. Yet it would be enough to unite 10 local organizations and have them assign their delegates for an active contribution to setting up a nationwide newspaper. And then we could, quote, expose, for all Russia, not details, but genuinely outstanding and typical outrages, once every two weeks. 
No one acquainted with the situation in our organizations will doubt this. If we are really serious about exposing the enemy on the spot, and not just indulging in fine-sounding words, then using an illegal newspaper to do this is out of the question. Only the anonymous leaflet can do it, since the outside limit for catching the enemy this way does not usually go beyond one or two days. Take, for example, an ordinary strike of short duration, a clash with the police at a factory, a demonstration, and so on. Quote, the worker lives not only in a factory but in a town, unquote, continues our author, who rises from the specific to the general with a strict logic that would do honor to Boris Krichevsky himself. And he points to issues concerning the town's councils, the town hospitals, the town schools, and he demands in general that a worker newspaper not pass over town matters in silence. An excellent demand in and of itself, but providing an especially glaring illustration of the empty abstractions to which people too often limit themselves when they discuss local newspapers. In the first place, if newspapers actually did appear in, quote, any locality where any appreciable number of workers are collected, unquote, and had the kind of detailed section on town affairs desired by Svoboda, then under our Russian conditions, it would inevitably deteriorate into obsession with details and lead to a weakening of the awareness of the importance of an all-Russian revolutionary assault on the czarist autocracy. It would strengthen the shoots, shoots that are still very much alive and far from rooted up, but instead only hidden or temporarily suppressed, of the tendency already made notorious by the famous remark about revolutionaries who talk too much about parliaments that don't exist and too little about town councils that do exist. We say all this would happen, quote, inevitably, using this word to emphasize that Svoboda obviously does not want any of this to happen, but rather the reverse. But good intentions by themselves are not enough. In order to illuminate town affairs in proper proportion to our overall work, this proper proportion must be worked out fully from the beginning and based firmly not only on abstract reasoning but on a mass of examples so that it takes on the solidity of tradition. We are still a long way from this and it is something that we need to do first before it is permissible to think about and discuss a broad local press. In the second place, in order to write really well and in an interesting manner about town affairs, it is necessary to know these affairs well and not just through books, and social democrats with the necessary knowledge hardly exist anywhere in Russia. In order to write for a newspaper as opposed to a popularizing pamphlet about town matters as well as affairs of state, it is necessary to have fresh and many-sided material that has been collected and worked up by someone competent to do so. And in order to collect and work up this material, it is not enough to rely on the, quote, primitive democracy of a primitive circle in which everybody does everything and has fun playing at referendums. What is needed is a staff of specialist writers, specialist correspondents, an army of social democratic reporters who establish connections here, there, and everywhere, who know how to penetrate into all and sundry, quote, state secrets, about which the Russian bureaucrat is so pompous and about which he so easily blabs, 
who can worm themselves, quote, behind the scenes, unquote, whenever necessary. An army of people who, quote, by virtue of their position, unquote, are all-knowing and all-seeing. And we, the party of struggle against any oppression, whether economic, political, social, or national, can and must find, collect, train, mobilize, and launch into a campaign this kind of army of all-knowing people. But actually accomplishing this still lays ahead. In the vast majority of localities, not only have we not made a step in this direction, but almost always the very awareness of its necessity is lacking. Look around in our social democratic press for lively and interesting articles and indictments of the affairs and intrigues of our diplomats, military, church, towns, finances, and so on and so forth. You will find almost nothing or very little. Note 16. Let's go right there. This is why the example even of exceptionally good local organs completely confirms our point of view. For example, Yuzhny Rabochi. Southern Worker, is an excellent newspaper, completely innocent of instability and principles, but the contribution it wishes to make to the movement is not attained because it comes out rarely and suffers from broad provali. It gets purged. What the party needs most pressingly at the moment, a principled statement of the fundamental issues of the movement along with all-sided political agitation, is beyond the strength of a local organ. But the sort of thing that Yuzhny Rabochi was so good at, such as the articles on the Congress of Mine Owners, on unemployment, and so on, does not constitute strictly local material and is needed for all of Russia, not just the South. Articles on this all-Russian scale were not found anywhere in our social democratic press. Back in the body text... This is why, quote, it always greatly upsets me when a person comes up and talks at great length about beautiful and wonderful things, unquote, about the necessity, quote, in any locality where a significant number of workers are collected, unquote, of newspapers indicting outrages in the factory, the town, and the state. Predominance of the local over the central press is a sign either of poverty or of luxury, it signifies poverty when the movement has not worked up enough forces for large-scale production and is still stuck in artisanal limitations, almost drowning in, quote, the details of factory life. It signifies luxury when the movement has already fully mastered the task of providing all-sided indictments and all-sided agitation so that it is necessary to have numerous local press organs besides the central one. Let each one decide for himself which of these two is indicated by the predominance of the local press among us at the present time. To avoid confusion, I shall limit myself to a precise formulation of my conclusion. Up to now, a majority of our local organizations have thought almost exclusively about local press organs and worked actively almost always for them. This is unfortunate. The opposite should be the case. The majority of local organizations should be thinking for the most part about an all-Russian organ and working for the most part for it. Until this happens, we will not be able to establish any newspaper that is at all capable of actually serving the movement with an all-sided press agitation. And when it does happen, then the correct relation between a necessary central press organ and necessary local ones will come about of itself. 
At first glance, it might seem that the conclusion about the necessity of shifting the center of gravity from local to all Russian work does not apply to the area of the specifically economic struggle. The immediate enemies of the workers in this case are the individual entrepreneurs or a group of them who are not bound together by any organization that even remotely suggests the organization of the Russian government, our immediate enemy in the political struggle, which has an organization that is purely military, strictly centralized, and guided down to its smallest details by a single will. But this is not so. The economic struggle we have stated many times, is a trade struggle, and therefore it demands unification according to the trade of the workers and not only according to the place of work. And this unification by trade is becoming all the more insistently necessary the more quickly proceeds the unification of our entrepreneurs into all sorts of syndicates and societies. Our fragmentation and our artisanal limitations get directly in the way of this unification, since unification requires a single all-Russian organization of revolutionaries that is capable of taking upon itself the guidance of all-Russian trade unions of the workers. We have already talked about the desirable type of organization for this purpose, and we will now add a few words in connection with the issue of our press. Hardly anyone doubts that in every social democratic newspaper there must be a section about the trade or economic struggle. But the growth of the trade movement compels us to think about a trade occupational press. It seems to us, however, that with rare exceptions, trade papers in Russia are out of the question. This would be a luxury at a time when we are having trouble getting enough bread on the table. The form that is necessary at the present time and appropriate to the conditions of illegal work must be trade pamphlets in our case. In these pamphlets, we should collect and arrange systematically both legally available, note 17, and illegal material on the issue of the labor conditions in a given business, on the differences in this connection among the various localities in Russia, on the main demands of the workers in a given trade, professia, on the shortcomings of relevant laws, on the outstanding instances of worker economic struggle in this craft, and on the beginnings of its trade union organization, its present-day condition and needs, and so forth. Note 17. Legally published material is especially important in this connection, and we are especially backward in our ability to collect it systematically and utilize it. It is no exaggeration to say that a trade pamphlet can be written up in some fashion using only legally available material, while this is impossible using only illegal material. When we collect illegal material from the workers, we waste, for no good reason, a great deal of a revolutionary's forces although an activist working above ground could easily do the job instead of him, and still never get first-rate material, since the workers, for the most part, know only one department of a large factory and almost always know the economic results, but not the general conditions and norms of their work. It is therefore impossible to get from them the kind of knowledge that is available to the factory office staff to inspectors, doctors, and so on, knowledge that is scattered for the most part in minor newspaper articles and in special publications by industries, hospitals, zemtsovs, and so on. I remember as if it were yesterday my, quote, first attempt, one which I would never repeat. I spent many weeks grilling, quote, with verve, 
Unquote. One worker about every aspect of the setup at the enormous factory where he worked. True, I somehow managed to put together, after much work, a description of only one factory. But the worker told me with a smile, wiping the sweat away after the end of our labors, quote, Working overtime is not as tough for me as answering your questions. Unquote. The more energetically we carry out the revolutionary struggle, the more will the government be compelled to legalize part of, quote, trade union, unquote, work, thus taking part of our burden away from us. Back to the body text. First of all, such pamphlets would relieve our social democratic press from the mass of details concerning a particular trade having a special interest only for the workers of a given craft. In the second place, they would register the results of our experience in the trade struggle while preserving and generalizing the collected material, which now is literally lost among a mass of leaflets and fragments of material sent in to newspapers. In the third place, they could serve as a sort of guidance for agitators, since the conditions of labor change relatively slowly, and the basic demands of the workers of a given craft are extraordinarily stable. Compare the demands of the weavers of the Moscow region in 1885 to those of the Petersburg weavers in 1896. And a collection of these demands and needs could serve for years as an excellent aid for economic agitation in backward localities or among the backward strata of the people. Examples of successful strikes in one region, data about a higher standard of living or better conditions of labor, would encourage the workers of other localities to ever-renewed struggle. In the fourth place, if social democracy takes upon itself the initiative of bringing the trade struggle to a countrywide level and thereby strengthens the link of the Russian trade movement with socialism, it will at the same time take care that our trade unionist work occupies a place in the overall sum of our social democratic work that is neither too big nor too small. It is very difficult, even sometimes almost impossible, for a local organization to observe a proper proportion here, especially if it is cut off from organizations in other cities. The example of Rabochaya Musul shows the extravagant exaggeration of trade unionism that is possible under these circumstances. But an all-Russian organization of revolutionaries standing on an unswervingly Marxist point of view, guiding the political struggle as a whole, and having a staff of agitators by trade at their disposal, will never have much difficulty in determining the correct proportion. That was Lenin's What is to be Done in the new translation by Lars Lee. The end of chapter four, artisanal limitations of the economists and the organization of revolutionaries. I'm Fergal Schmudlock of the Kingless Generation podcast. If you would like to support this project, head on down to patreon.com. Look for the Kingless Generation and you know what to do. Solidarity forever. <laughs>